Love Talk Radio. Today is Sunday, July 12, 2015, and you are tuned in to a brand new episode of Cinema and Noir. This is Rebecca Theodore, a.k.a. Film Fatale NYC, and I am joined by my lovely co-hosts, Candace Frederick and Kimberly Renee. Hi, ladies. Hi. Hi. Happy Sunday, everyone. Um, so we got a great show for you. We're going to um, kick off our podcast with three movie reviews. We'll be reviewing... Um, the new thriller with, uh, or the upcoming thriller with uh, Jennifer Lopez and Viola Davis, Lila and Eve. We'll also be reviewing um, Amy as well as um, Inside Out, which is, um, I think it's like number three, the third grossing movie this weekend, um, starring uh, Amy Poehler and Mindy Kaling, a lot of great uh, voice actors. Um, so we're going to do that, and then we're going to, uh, later in the podcast, halfway through, we'll be talking to Matthew Cherry, who is a friend of Cinema Noir. We had him um, on a couple of years ago for his independent um, debut, which was the last fall. Um, and now uh, Matthew has been keeping himself quite busy. Um, and he also, uh, right now he has this fantastic uh, web series that's called uh, Diary of an Independent Filmmaker. And so Matthew's, ch- uh, Matthew's challenge this year is to vlog, is to, or to do a vlog every day for the next 365 days. Um, so I think he's, he's way over like 20 entries by now. I think we're up to like episode 28 or so. So we'll be talking to Matthew. Um, and then our last segment for the evening, we will be discussing the season finale of Penny Dreadful, um, the Showtime series. Um, a lot of feelings <laughs> over this season finale. Um, I, I I think it was a great season, but, I mean, we'll definitely be talking about the things that we loved, which were so many. Um, and, of course, uh, some of us have some feelings over Sembany, who was the sole black character, and Penny Dreadful. So we will be discussing uh, the differences between the treatment of people of color uh, in an otherwise mainstream show, tokenism versus diversity. What's the difference? What's good? What's bad about that? Um, so to get things started, I'm going to throw this over to Candace and let us know what your what your thoughts of Lila and Eve were, because I'm really curious about this movie. Yeah, so Lila and Eve, I just love the fact that it's kind of this, I want to say, off the beaten path. It's not really particularly quirky, but it's not this straightforward drama that we see particularly Viola Davis constantly in. This is kind of her playing, I don't even want to say an anti-hero, but she's a very flawed character. And I generally respond to when she plays these types of characters. Um, Basically, she and Jennifer Lopez, play these mothers who meet in a support group because their children, their young children, had been murdered senselessly. Um, And they, you know, they kind of bond and they um, support each other. And they're 
have kind of they respond they're responding to the agreement in very different ways. Jennifer Lawrence, Jennifer Lopez's character is a little more um she she's more fierce, she's more like kind of getting even, she's like no tears, she's just she's just kind of about just who does she have to kill basically to avenge her daughter's death. Um while Viola Davis is, is like um, you know, just very, she's very much in the grieving stage. She's almost like crippling grief. Um, so it, it has that dichotomy, um, and there's an interesting twist, and I, <laughs> I'm struggling mm-hmm. not to approach it because it is okay. not, at least for me, I was completely surprised. Um, by oh, wow. So that was actually really, really interesting because I thought that I had this movie pegged from beginning to end. It looked very predictable, and, but then something happens and something re- is revealed that really changes how you will view this film. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it's a perfect film. It's kind of preposterous at times. So <laughs> I would say towards the latter end, um, it, things spiral. Um, basically, these two characters join forces and... Um, kind of one thing leads to another, and they are both on this, like, event streak. And, you know, they kind of find themselves deeper into this um, this crime spree, if you will. And then, uh, particularly Viola Davis's character is in over her head, but then she's, you know, already in so deep. And, you know, is this the right way to approach the death of your child and things like that? All these questions are really brought up, and then... Um, the twist is revealed later, and then that really just was like, whoa, what? Um, mm-hmm. But there's a lot of things that I didn't particularly believe in terms of crime um, that happens mm-hmm. later on and just what what is what is excused and what's not and things like that. But um, I do think it approaches some really interesting issues, one um, particularly about crime, but also about um, gen- the, the role gender plays in certain crimes, uh-huh. um, and that's right. really talked about. Not it's not um, it's not overt, but that's all. That's uh-huh. also some of the commentary in this movie that I think is particularly interesting because it's not something that we talk about very often in or out of movies. Um, uh-huh. And Viola Davis, I think, is just amazing all the time. So I was not surprised uh-huh. to see that she was amazing in this as well. Um, Jennifer Lopez, she held her own next to Viola. I mean. I, I mean, it's no secret that Viola Davis can really act circles around Jennifer Lopez, but Jennifer <laughs> Lopez was, she, she, you know, she was decent. I was just like, oh, okay. And then once you realize what kind of character she's playing, it's just like, oh, that actually makes sense. Um, oh. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. I would, I would definitely, I would invite people to watch it, make up your own mm-hmm. minds about it. But um, it's not perfect, definitely not perfect, but it was really interesting and kept my attention. I believe it's in limited theaters already. Oh, wow. Okay, so I, I, mm-hmm. I totally missed the release date. Um, yeah, you know, I thought that when I first saw the announcement in the trailer, I was like, J-Lo and Viola Davis? I was like, exactly. okay. <laughs> so, yeah, well, it's good to hear that J-Lo held her own. Um, well, that's mm-hmm. the one thing I, I, I will say that I like about J-Lo is that she has never let anyone box the kind of movies that she could make, right? Because as a Latina actress, mm-hmm. they could have easily, she could have been like the Cena. And the one thing I've liked about her is that she just does the movies that she wants to do. You know, like she could do a rom-com like The Wedding Planner. Then she could do something edgy like Out of Sight with Steven Soderbergh. You know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. Selena. So like she just kind of 
keeps herself open or whatever. Not to say I like all of her movies. I don't. But (laughs) I do admire the fact that, you know, she is definitely broadening, you know, the perceptions of of Latina actresses in Hollywood. So I I think that's a cool thing. Um, So the second movie we're going to talk about, uh, which you've also seen, is Amy. I'm not familiar with this movie. Can you give us the backstory who's in it, the director, and, and what you thought of it? Uh, this is the documentary on Amy Winehouse, um, mm-hmm. and this came out. Oh gosh, when did this come out? I want to say oh, this Amy came Winehouse. Out. Oh my god, why was I thinking yeah. this was a drama? I'm like, I don't know any dramas named Amy. It is Thank kind of you. a drama. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely <Yeah>. dramatic. <laughs> okay, so it came out in New York and LA on July 3rd, and nationwide on Friday, July 10th. So it's, I mean, a lot of people are talking about it. Um, I think the director, uh, whose name escapes me, let me just look him up real fast. Um, oh, gosh, I can't remember his name. But he's the director who did, um, oh, Asif Kapadia, who did Sena, mm-hmm. which I didn't see. So I think a lot of people were are bringing their sentiment for that movie over to this movie. And I think a lot of it, a lot of the reviews that at least I've been reading have been kind of, more mm-hmm. fan base, I want to say. I'm a huge, I was a huge fan of Amy Winehouse, so I get it. I do cherish her mm-hmm. story, but I think that this was awful. <laughs> I thought that mm-hmm. this was so far the worst documentary <laughs> I've seen this year, and I've seen a lot of documentaries. I, I kind of Holy informally called this year the year of the of the mainstream documentary because I think there's a lot of really great documentaries coming out this year. But, yeah, um, yeah this I thought was just, not good. I I didn't like the way it was shot. It was shot as if it was shot at, from the point of view of a paparazzi. Um, and I and I'm sure that was probably some kind of aesthetic. That was some kind of artistic approach that he um, wanted to make. But mm-hmm. I was really turned off by it. I I just found that it was a very distant approach to a very intimate story, and I felt like I didn't really get to know the Amy behind behind the headlines. I just knew the headlines. But I already knew that mm-hmm. going forth. I already knew that she battled drugs. I already knew that she had uh, problems with her, um, between particularly her father, who is all up and through this, this documentary, particularly after it mm-hmm. details her rise to fame. He was all in that. Um, and it really just mm. doesn't really show him or, uh, his mother, or her mother in the best light. I mean, it was complacency mixed with um, just, dare I say, ignorance, but, you know, I don't mm. want to, um, I I don't want to blast from, you know, I don't want to encourage blasphemy, but I just thought that, I know that they were trying to put the kibosh on this movie, and I can see why, because one, it didn't really show oh. their daughter in, in the best light, and it also didn't show them in the best light, so I get it. It was very uncomfortable to watch as an audience member, um, and I mm. felt like, it, again, it was not intimate, and, and that I didn't learn anything new. And then everything was a headline. Everything was really about what we already knew from, like, reading New York Post or reading any type of a tabloid. And so it, it didn't give me that. Like, I'm, you know, I just recently saw What Happened with Simone, which was such uh, an objective, very just, like, well-rounded, beautiful portrait of someone mm-hmm. who was not easy to understand. They really gave us, you know, that filmmaker really gave us a, a, a nice peek into her life. For this, for Amy Winehouse, it really wasn't. It was really about what the headline said on such a state, you know, what the headlines or what 
uh, where Amy was when she won her first Grammy or, you know, Amy, you know, meeting her husband who, quote, unquote, influenced her drug abuse and things like that. All these things that I kind of already knew, but it, it really fed into the paparazzi madness rather than taking yes. a step back and looking at it in a peripheral sort, sort of point of view. And even the people around her, they talked about, like, they talked to her bodyguard. Like, it's interesting who they chose to show in in in-person interviews. Like, they had Mm -hmm. in-person interviews, and I think the director did, like, 100 interviews or so, he said. Um, Wow. With, like, her bodyguard, with her parents, with her friends. And it's interesting that her boyfriend, Mm -hmm. her bodyguard, and her music, like, label people, her producers – those were all face-to-face interviews, but her parents, her best friends, all of those were audio interviews, and I felt and I felt that that just contributed to the lack of or to the distance that the director had to the actual story, to her as a person, and so I was really right. really turned off by it. Oh, that's so disappointing to me. Which is weird because I've been actually well, I mean for the most part I've been seeing like glowing reviews for for Amy. I know me too overseas. <laughs> Yeah, I know they said that it broke some sort of box office record um, in the UK box yeah. office. So, which I mean, understandably, because she's you know it's, she's still fresh in everybody's mind. But, mm-hmm. Ugh, yikes! <laughs> yeah, I was super turned off. I was just like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. This is not even well made. <laughs> like, I was really. Uh, I, and I was thinking, I was like, should this be like a narrative instead of a documentary? I don't know. That's an interesting point of view. Maybe, right? Because, I mean, at least with a biopic, you're definitely, yeah, you're picking a specific point of view. You know, in documentaries, mm-hmm. people are usually expecting you to be uh, at least sort sort of impartial or factual, mm-hmm. right? I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I could be wrong. Sort of. <laughs> yeah. It depends oh. on, you know, the documentarian, but definitely it tends to skew that way for documentaries versus feature narratives, feature narratives. Uh-huh. But yeah, I I mean I was just thinking is that would would this be the type of thing that would be best as a feature narrative? But I just think that in better hands, like again, I'm going back to what happened with Simone. Maybe Liz Garbus would have done a better job at her story. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, with with what happened to Mrs. Um, what happened to Miss Simone, to Nina Simone wasn't her daughter's like a producer. She approved that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's the mm-hmm. same so were there any good, okay. like, Amy performances in the documentary? Did you at least get some oh. good music? Was there any of that? Yeah. So that was pretty <laughs> much the soundtrack to the documentary. So I, I'll be remiss to say that there were some there were some good moments, but they were all, like, basically her performing, which, I mean, for me, I know that she was a great performer. I know that she's a great singer. I know that she was a great mm-hmm. uh, songwriter. Um, mm-hmm. And it was... I mean, it was a soundtrack to the movie, so every time that they kind of talked about that or she, they even went behind, they had, it was interesting that they had, like, these raw footage of of her, like, at home and, and just kind of, mm-hmm. I don't know if she was videotaping herself. I don't know who was videotaping her. There was a lot of, like, unclear shots. I'm just like, who is behind the camera? Because this is clearly a homemade <laughs> video, but I don't know who's doing it. And, I mean, some of the videos are, like, her just hanging out with her friends, but some of the videos were just her drug binging. And I'm like, who, is with the, who has this camera? Who is doing this? And it's interesting. Um, yeah. And I'm like, well, this person behind the camera needs to, like, not be behind the camera and do something about what's happening. And it was very just um, 
I I don't know. It, it just it made me very squirmy. I'm just why mm. why why this why this scene right now? Like, what are you trying to tell us here that she was she was an addict? We know that, but what what else are you like? What is the story here? And that's what I was like. Right. I was really frustrated by, you know. So you didn't walk away learning anything. There was no perspective. No. From, nope. from this documentary. Mm. That's a the only thing I didn't realize, it was the only thing, and I, and I think I, I kind of figured this out just seeing her uh, perform live at some point, that she was also mm-hmm. bulimic. Um, but she oh, was bulimic wow. for a very long time. Um, and she told... There, there's this moment in the movie, I'm not going to harp on it because I've been telling everybody. So there's a moment in the movie where she, uh, her mom particularly is talking about how her her daughter Amy came up to her at one point and said, "Mom, I found this new diet where I can eat everything I want and throw it up." And her mom was just like, "Oh, I thought it was a phase." And I'm like, "Like I don't, I don't know. I'm just, it it was just not it was not it was not pleasing. It wasn't satisfying the documentary. Just and it was just like nobody was shown in any type of multi dimensional light at all." Oh, wow. that's disappointing. It really is. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm going to go see it anyway because I've always you been should. fascinated by it. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go see it. But, yeah, that's disappointing to see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah. I'm just going to uh, start our last movie. Um, we're going to talk about Inside Out. Or just, I mean, there's tons of reviews. Of Inside Out, um, I don't know that I can add anything new <laughs> to the dialogue, but I, I did want to mention it because um, the one thing that I really, I mean, besides, it was just a smart, it was just so smart and emotional and fun, and I love that the main protagonist was was a girl because they could have easily went the route and just you know did a boy, um, which mm-hmm. I mean I, it would have been as effective, but I like that they that it was this girl and and Riley is. Um, the main character, she like she plays ice hockey, so she's sort of like athletic and everything. So she's not like your typical girly girl, you know what I mean? Who's like all like swooning over a boy, um, which I appreciated. <laughs> not there's anything mm-hmm. wrong with that, but um, the one thing that I really appreciated about um, Inside Out, uh, for anybody who's seen it, basically these uh, the different aspects of her emotions. There's anger, fear, joy. Um, Fear, anger, fear, joy, I forget who the other person is. So all these emotions and sadness are basically, um, you know, battling in her head. Um, she relocates from Minnesota to San Francisco, and the main thing is that Joy, who's voiced by Amy Poehler, you'll notice, one, she's the tallest of all the emotions, right? Um, and she's kind of, while you would think that Joy is joyous, she's kind of controlling, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. the thing that I found so interesting was the dynamic between joy and sadness because joy was always policing sadness, right? Joy, sadness would mm-hmm. come in and be like, okay, it's time for her to be sad. And joy would be like, no, 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 no I've got this. I'm going to take this under control. And <laughs> I thought that was such a powerful statement, particularly for young girls and for women, um, because there is a of how we're supposed to present ourselves as women. We're always supposed to be nice and sweet and polite and likable, right? And what I loved mm-hmm. about um, that movie, what I loved about Inside Out is that it gave us permission, that it's okay to be angry sometimes. It's okay to be 
you know, snarky and sarcastic sometimes. Like, because, you know, men have that gamut of emotions, right? And nobody ever says anything mm-hmm. to them. But we're supposed to be Susie Sunshine, you know? And I, and I love that the movie particularly showed that joy and sadness balance each other out, you know, that, that mm-hmm. they need each other. One is not, you know, joy is good, but sadness is good too. Um, because you'll notice uh, there was um, a couple of scenes where, she would have, Joy would be like, oh, well, this is a memory. This is a core memory I have of her, and she's happy. But then, you know, Joy would show the other side of what happened two minutes before and two mm-hmm. minutes after. You know what I mean? So then it's, it, it sort of shows that even our memories, um, you know, can, can trick us sometimes. So um, I, was really, I was really happy that they had this movie, and I would definitely recommend, um, you know, if you have children, boys, girls, doesn't matter, you should definitely go it had a lot of commentary, and I, I don't think it hit you over the head, you know what I mean? But it was it was just very enjoyable. Um, mm-hmm. So we're going to move on to, uh, I think we have time, we can do our trailer talk um, really quick. So Comic-Con is coming uh, to a close, and uh, last night the trailer, the first official full-length trailer for Batman vs. Superman um, came out, so I just wanted to hear what you guys about the trailers. Kim? Um, okay. So <laughs> I mm-hmm. saw the trailer, I looked at it today, and it looks mm-hmm. very it looks good. I'm very I'm not, you know, this is not my my world, the whole, you know, comic book Superman versus Batman. And at first I was kinda like, you know, what's the beef, what's the issue here? But when you see how they're kinda laying it out, it looks really it looks really good. And I was one who was kind of apprehensive about Ben Affleck as Batman. You know, I do know Batman. Seen mm. other, you know, actors tackle Batman. And I just wasn't a hundred percent sure that Ben Affleck, you know, no shade, that he was the one to kind of bring it, you know, to bring it to, to life. Um, uh-huh. it was okay. I mean, he's doing a, a good job, I think. You know, from the from the uh-huh. little bit that we saw, I, I have my hope is a little bit higher than it was before. Um, right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it looks. I, I'm more intrigued about it than I was before. I think it's definitely something I will go see. Um, so yeah, I'm excited for it. Wow. Uh, what did you think, Candace? Yeah, I'm excited too. I mean, I um, I had no reservations about Ben Affleck. You guys know I'm I love him to pieces, um, oh. and I he just continues to get better. I've noticed. Um, mm-hmm. in front of and behind the camera. And I think every single role he's played, w- with, uh, including Gone Girl as well as Hollywoodland, has prepared him. Those, particularly those two roles have prepared him to play Batman. So I'm, that I was not surprised at at all. Henry Cavill looking fine as all hell in the, commercial, in the trailer. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, this man is just. It's just so it, – it makes me, like, disturbed a bit when I see him. It's like, oh, my gosh, I forgot. I forgot how hot you are. And so every time it's just kind of like a shock. <laughs> and so I was going along. I was like, oh, I like the, the you know, it's a very interesting dynamic between the two. And then I like the action. And then it got to Jesse Eisenberg. I was like, mm, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because I, you know, I kind of forgot that he was going to be in the movie. And then once I saw him show up in the trailer, I was like, oh, this is weird. Why are you, what are you doing? And I had to even look up what the character was and everything because I was just like, are you playing 
what what's happening? What character is this? Are you part of this other action that's going on in the previous scene? And I had a lot of questions, and I was like, you threw me off, and I had to like rewatch the trailer because I I was focused on why he was dressed like that, talking like that, looking like that. I just had questions, and so <laughs> then I also kind of noticed that Diane Lane looked like much older than she did in the in the previous film. I was like, oh, are they aging her? Is that part of it? And then. So mm-hmm. those are the only two that kind of disrupted my viewing pleasure, so to speak. But I really okay. thoroughly otherwise enjoyed the film. I mean, enjoyed the trailer. Okay. Um, so for our listeners, um, you can join our discussions. We want to hear your thoughts on the Batman vs. Superman trailer. Um, you can either join our chat room um, on Block Talk Radio, um, the Cinema Noir page, where you're listening to the podcast, or you can send us our, our thoughts. Um, our hashtag is at... Cinema and Noir, and you can also use the hashtag Zenoir, C-I-N-N-O-I-R. Um, so what are, what are your thoughts? I think one of the big things, too, about uh, Batman versus Superman, uh, the question was Gal Gadot, because there's been a lot of talk about her casting, her body type, is she really Wonder Woman? So we finally got to see um, some footage. I mean, it, it wasn't a lot. I think there, she was in, like, maybe two or three clips. Um, yeah, but I mean, um, seeing her in the trailer, did it kind of, did you, if you had doubts about Gal Gadot, are you now reassured or do you still have questions? What, what, what did you think? For me, I actually didn't really have any doubts about her. Okay. Um, honestly, I didn't, I, I didn't actually feel any kind of way about it. I'm also not mm-hmm. particularly, you know, a huge comic head, so I wasn't really yeah. invested in that way. Um, but I only know her from uh, the the Fast and Furious movie, so and yeah. I thought she was fine in Fast and Furious movies, so that was all I was, you know, basing it on. So I was just like, okay. I mean, I wanted to see more of her in the trailer, particularly her line delivery, um, because you said nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I was just like, well, I would have liked to see her deliver some lines because that would have really kind of set the mood or, or kind of giving me an idea of what to to expect because she didn't really, in, in Fast and Furious, she, I mean, everybody was just, you know, Fast and Furious, as fun as it was, it wasn't about your line delivery in Fast and Furious in any of those films. So I was curious because I think particularly in this in this world, in this particular comic world, um, if we're talking about Superman and particularly uh, Batman, there is a lot of commentary and a lot of uh, innuendo and nuance that goes into this type of um, this type of storyline. So I wanted to see what she would bring. And I did not see anything. So right. What, what did you think? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know who she was yesterday. Today, I still don't know who she is. I got like two seconds <laughs> of a shot. So yeah, I'd like to see more of her, maybe in another trailer to actually form an opinion of it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm just very. You're breaking up. Hello. Yes. You're back. Yeah. Can you hear me now? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I admit that I have been one of the people that's been critical of this um, Wonder Woman casting. But I, I, the thing is, like, I've had to really think about it because I'm like, I don't want to be one of those people that just tears down because we've been saying we want more women superheroes and then we get one and then still complaining. So I understand. I think the problem is that we 
there's been such a scarcity of female superheroes that, you know, she's sort of like the unicorn right now, right? Everybody is posting, is like putting their hopes and dreams on Wonder Woman. So I, I, I have to be more sympathetic to Gal Gadot because she's kind of in a no-win situation because people are either going to love her or they're going to hate her. You know what I mean? Because, you know, I'll, I'll watch, I've never read the Wonder Woman um, comic books. My introduction to, to Wonder Woman was the Linda Carter um, series, mm-hmm. and I've I've read of I I haven't read her standalone series, but I've read the Justice League series, right? Like I've read certain things, so I have an idea of Wonder Woman, and of course, you know, the character is over seventy years old, so there's lots of different interpretations of Wonder Woman. So it kind of feels like Zack Snyder is in a no-win situation because whichever interpretation of Wonder Woman he picks nobody will be happy, right? People will be like, mm-hmm. you know, there are people who are just like, well, she should be more of an Amazonian and, you know, doesn't like men and doesn't wear makeup. And then other people are like, well, no, she should be more girly. So, you know, I, I'm hoping that maybe he'll find a happy medium where everybody's happy. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's a lot to put on her shoulders, you know what I mean? So I'm just going to reserve judgment until I see the movie, so as you'll notice, I have not tweeted anything about Gal Gadot because I want to be more sympathetic. I'm like, okay, let me see the movie, and then I'll have an opinion of her because the idea is, you know, she's supposed to have her own standalone um, franchise, and there's been a lot of controversy over that because um, I think the original uh, director for the Wonder Woman movie, Michelle McLaren, um, got fired. She walked away from the project. Seems that she wanted mm-hmm. um, a more epic vision of Wonder Woman, and the producers were like, "Aha, no." So, <laughs> that, which to me just means that she wanted more money, right? Which is nothing wrong with that because, from what I understand, she wanted more like a Game of Thrones. No, she wanted more of an epic Braveheart type of, uh, you know, narrative Wonder Woman, which I think is great. But the producers were like, "No." So she walked away, and now Patty Jenkins is now in it. But we still don't – I think they just hired a screenwriter. No, we don't even have a screenwriter for the Wonder Woman script. So mm. everything is just – yeah, I think what – to me, my personal opinion, I think they want to see how Gal Gadot does in Dawn of Justice and see how we react to her, and then maybe – you know what I mean? I'm, I mean, I'm sure they'll do it anyway, but I guess the amount of money that they put towards this movie will really – might kind of be dependent on how they portray her in in Dawn of Justice. So, I mean, I liked it. I mean, I I liked the trailer, but I wasn't as as enthusiastic as I thought I was going to be because I've been waiting for this movie for so long. Um, But the great thing is that DC Animated is just so fantastic. They've done so many um, iterations of so many variations of the Batman versus Superman rivalry um, in their animation world that I'm just sort of like, you guys, like, they kind of raised the bar. So if Batman versus Superman does not raise up to that, like this morning I just watched uh, the animated movie The Dark Knight Returns, and that movie mm. is bananas. It's so insanely good. You know what I mean? I'm not going to say even for an animated movie. No, it's just an insanely, and it's a very, I think, faithful adaptation to the comic book movie, and there's an epic showdown between Batman versus Superman um, at the end of the movie, so I'm just like, they're going to have to bring their A games. I mean, I'm sure they have special fans, blah, blah, blah. But the dynamic between Bruce and Clark Kent is also very important as well, so I feel like they're really going to have to uh, flesh that out. I agree with you, Candace. I'm not here mm-hmm. for Jesse Eisenberg. While I'm reserving judgment on Gal Gadot, mm-hmm. I'm still no. 
I'm still a no. <laughs> That's a hard no. <laughs> yeah, right. That's a hard no. <laughs> he just was crazy. I'm like, what's with this hair? Why yes. do you look so unkempt? What like what is? Yes. I mean, at least me. Yeah, like our our ver- the versions of um, Lex Luthor that we've been uh, exposed to. You know what I mean? He is this very mm-hmm. you know wealthy, arrogant, charming, dressed to the nines. Mm-hmm. You know, and even in small uh, Smallville, I love Michael Rosenberg's um, interpretation of uh, Lex Luthor. And then I'm looking at Jesse Eisenberg, and I'm just like, so are you supposed to be just like a angry Mark Zuckerberg? Like, I'm not sure what's going on. <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on, but yeah, I mean, I hope it does well. Um, so really quickly before we we talk to Matthew, um, the other trailer that dropped was um, during the CW panels. The news came out. Well, it was announced a couple of months ago that they were doing a Vixen animated series. And so the trailer, I mean, it's only a minute, uh, dropped yesterday. So it will actually be on the CW feed, which is their online component of, of CW. Um, did you guys take a look at the trailer? And what did you think? Yeah, yeah I, I did. I mean, it's... Okay. Go ahead, Kim. Um, it looks cool. I, again, not familiar with this world, so I was kind of like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks really good. I didn't pick up on the fact that she was Nigerian until I read the comments or that she was African. Uh, but mm-hmm. until I read the comments and people were like, she looks like Halle Berry. But, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a little, you know, know, a little there. But the fact yeah. that, you know, you woman of color, you know, I, th- I think it's great. So I didn't realize it would be on the online you know, CW, but, you know, baby steps, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize it was going to, I didn't realize it was going to be online either until um, just this moment, so that's interesting. Um, I I mean, the clip that I saw was on, was under a minute, uh, and it was a nice tease. I was intrigued, um, especially for someone like me who knows nothing about this story, but I was like, I was really... Um, I was I was pleasantly surprised by it. I was just like, oh, okay, I probably watched that. Um, I'm kind of in this whole superhero zone because I just finished watching, well, recently finished watching the Daredevil series, which I'm hooked. Yeah. So really, yeah, oh, you I'm loved just like, it. Yeah. I'm so happy to hear that. Yay! Yeah, yeah, Daredevil. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so so good. So yeah, I'm about it. Oh great! Yeah, I'm um I'm very I. I mean, it was just a minute, but I was just so excited because um, I wasn't familiar with Vixen until I, you know, I watched Justice League. They introduced her character in the third season. Um, they put her in, like, this weird love triangle. I was just like, really, guys? But I am, mm-hmm. I'm just fascinated by the character, just the fact that, she, you know, all she can summon up um, the powers of, of animals, and then, you know, she kind mm-hmm. of reflects that. So I just, I just think that it's really cool for the CW to finally, and WB and the Warners and, and DC people to finally give, uh, you know, women superheroes of color a platform. Yeah, I wish it was on TV. CWC, to be mm-hmm. honest with you, I don't watch CWC, but maybe that will drive some traffic. But um, I'm really excited about it. I'm very excited for the voice talent. Originally, um, Gina Torres was the one that voiced uh, Vixen in the Justice League series, and in this one, it's Megalyn Echikawonke. I I keep switching her last name, but I am a huge fan of Megalyn. I love Megalyn. Um, mm. She was awesome in the last season. What was it, the last season of The Following? Uh, she's Michael Ely's sister. Oh, my God. She was, I was just like, oh, yeah. Real. 
Yeah, so I was just like, I loved her. And I was just like, yo, I hope people will capture in more, like, action-oriented movies. So, yeah, so mm-hmm. Megalyn is voicing um, Big Sin. And so, I mean, I, I do hope that this will lead to a, a live on-screen representation because right now we have uh, the CW has The Flash, The Arrow. Um, on CBS they have Supergirl or whatever. So I'm, I'm hoping that mm-hmm. Vixen will actually show up um, in the Flash. So, well, I mean, those, if, if you watch the trailer, the Flash and uh, the Arrow are in there. So I'm thinking maybe they're they're hinting to us that maybe we'll see Vixen um, on either show really soon. I, of course, there's a whole bunch of casting possibilities, but um, yeah, mm-hmm. we'll definitely be tuning in. Oh, I, I think it airs. What is it? August 12th? I know it's sometime in August. I forget what the mm-hmm. date is. We'll, we'll we'll tweet out the um, premiere date. But yeah, anyway, very happy to see that. Um, oh, mm-hmm. Kim, do we have our, our guests online? Yeah, on the line? we do. Hi, Matthew. Hey, how you guys doing? I'm good. Hey, hey everyone. This is Matthew Cherry. He is a friend of Cinema Noir. I had to have you on the show because I just, I actually stayed up to like 2 a.m. Uh, Matthew Cherry, if anybody, I think uh, the last fall, your debut feature film is on Netflix. Um, and so... Um, and now you're you're doing you're into a whole lot of stuff. Um, so you now you have a new web series which is called Diary of an Independent Filmmaker. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about how you came up with the idea and what's the goal uh, for for your web series? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I guess it's kind of more. It's technically more of a blog uh, than, mm-hmm. than a web series, even though I, I do kind okay. of shoot it like. Uh, I guess I do kind of shoot it more like a reality show, but yeah. no, it was just um. Here's kind of where it came from. So, you know, I've been spending a lot, a lot of time at YouTube lately. Uh, I actually got a office space that's kind of real close by uh, YouTube Space LA in uh, Playa Vista. And, you know, I've just been spending a lot of time up there. You know, I locked the space uh, a couple months ago because I had I hit over 10,000 subscribers on YouTube. So if you have wow. a certain amount of subscribers, you can, like, pretty much, like, have full access to the space. Um, you can shoot there you know, a certain amount of times a month, depending on your level. You can uh, use post-production for unlimited amount of times as long as you book it in advance. And so uh, it's just been an incredible resource, and I've just been spent a lot of time up there. And because I've been up there a lot, I've been meeting a lot of, like, kind of YouTubers and just kind of seeing how people with these crazy followings and audiences have been able to kind of build their stuff up. And uh, uh-huh. I came across this guy. His name is Casey Nestat. And he's like, he used to have a show on HBO, actually. Uh, it was like him and his brother. It was like way back in the day. But it was like basically about them making short films. And dude okay. is just like super DIY. He's always got like a camera on himself. And he's always like kind of uploading these little kind of like short film, like documentary clips of himself online. And um, about, okay. 100, about 100 days ago, he started a daily vlog. And I peeped it oh. out, and I, and I loved it. I, I've watched every single episode, every day. He uploads it at the same time every day, which is just crazy dedication. And it's just like his life, you know, and he's doing all this random stuff. Sometimes he's doing filmmaking stuff. He started a tech company. And it's just really dope because he got a family and everything, and it's just like you really get invested into somebody's life when you watch it like that. And I was like, man, you know, I, you know, I go hard on social media, you know, tweeting all the time and trying to, you know, always keep my audience engaged. And I was like, you know, I really want to kind of take it up a notch. And, you know, I'm very camera shy and I'm not even really used to, like, being, like, a subject or anything. I, I love being more behind the scenes. But, you know, I had to try to get out of my comfort zone. And I thought, 
because I do have a couple of projects coming up that, uh, you know, I think really will be really great for me and hopefully take things to the next level. I was like, you know what, let me just start vlogging and getting comfortable with it so that by the time, you know, these projects go, that, you know, right. somebody could, in, in theory, you know, watch every single day of my life and kind of see the progression of, you know, my different projects from idea to completion. Oh, okay. So, uh, take us back. So, you, you know, did the last fall. Um, yep. What was that experience like? Okay, you're, you put your baby out into the world. What was, what was that experience like? Just um, the critique, the reception, all of that. No, you know, I mean, making a movie was great. You know, definitely the hardest thing I'd ever done. And, you know, I played in the NFL. And, <laughs> you know, they some, some say that is, that's pretty hard to do. But, you know, make, making a movie is very uh, – it's like holding a mirror to yourself, you know. Like, I think you don't really know yourself as a person <laughs> until you've made a film because it's like you're it's, – it's kind of like the first time that in my life that, you know, it was like all eyes were on me. You know, everybody was here because of me. You know, the stakes were super high, and you have to, like, really um, just kind of work well with people and just kind of, like, be organized. And, it's, it's, you know, the, the, the ship sinks or swims with, uh, with, the, with the filmmaker and the director and the writer. So, you know, really just kind of taught me a lot about myself. It was an incredible experience. You know, worked with some great talent. You know, Lance, Nicole Bahari, Vanessa Bell Calloway, Harry Lennox. And yeah, I, I, I'm really hoping to do it again really soon, you know? Right. So tell us a little bit about these, these projects you have coming up. Well, you know, <laughs> the thing about that is, you know, things kind of change all the time. But um, mm-hmm. I I have several things that I'm hoping that, that that'll, I'll be able to pull triggers on very, fairly shortly. Uh, mm-hmm. A couple feature, couple feature film concepts. Um, I, I actually talked about one of them on the vlog, so I guess I can speak on it uh, now. But okay. it's, it's called it's called uh, How to Die Happy. It's a very okay. quirky. It's a very kind of like quirky, female led like kind of road trip movie. Um, I guess to give uh-huh. you like kind of like a, a like a log line. Um, this kind of young uh, African American female uh, protagonist gets diagnosed with a terminal illness and her and one of her oh. coworkers who, mm-hmm. you know, kind of has some connection to Native American kind of like history and, and folklore. He uh, kind of has this vision of them going to this, you know, location up north mm-hmm. and, um, and and actually curing her. And so they kind of go on this road trip and, you know, trying to trying to find a cure for this, for this disease that she has. And so, you know, it's right. very quirky, very like, if I was to give it a tone, it's probably real similar to, like, that movie that just came out, uh, Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl, or, or like, one of those yeah. Wes Anderson-type films, just, like, extremely quirky. And, um, you know, definitely, like, looking forward to start casting this thing and uh, moving on it really soon. Um, so that's, that's the main thing I'm working on right now. I have, another, I have another movie called Location Ship that we I'm in the okay. middle of a rewrite on that I hope to pull a trigger on by the end of the year as well. And I'm trying to break it into television. And so I have a uh, pilot. Yeah, so I have I have a uh, really great, funny concept uh, in a television show. I can't. Re- I don't really want to go too much in depth with it because I don't want That's anybody fine. like run, running away with it. But you know, it's a half hour. <laughs> work- <laughs> it's a half hour workplace comedy, and it's something that I plan on shooting a pilot presentation for, and um, uh-huh. hopefully putting out within the next couple of months. So 
those are right. kind of my big big three. And then, you know, there's other small stuff. Like, I'm working on a web series, almost 30. That's always ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm about to release a short film within the next month or so um, called Forward. And oh. showed a little bit of that on the blog as well, so. Okay. That's, you know, it's funny you, you mentioned that because I am friends with Miriam Bale. Um, she's a film critic. And she has thrown out a question a couple of days ago um, just about the lack of diversity. And she was like, can anyone name the last time that you saw a road trip with two women of color in the lead? And I was just like, I can't think of anything. But it's funny that you mentioned that. That's all I need her to hit you up. <laughs> about that, well, but that's... Well, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah I mean, de- de- definitely, like, you know, my thing is just, like, I- I've been trying to get this movie made called Game Time Decision. Um, mm-hmm. We've been trying to get this movie made for the past couple of years, and it's probably the biggest thing I've ever tried to do, and we need about, you know, roughly, like, a million or a couple million dollars to get it done, and, you right. know, I've been sitting on the bench, basically, for two years trying to find the money for this project, and so... Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just I'm just kind of tired of waiting in the background, and I want to like you know pull some triggers on some things. And so, you know, a road trip mm-hmm. movie is fairly easy to do. Definitely was yeah. inspired by like Mark and Jay Duplay, like their movie. Um, uh, what was the name of that movie? Uh, the Puffy Chair. You know, they shot it mm-hmm. for no money, and mm-hmm. you know, it was a road trip movie, and and they, and they got it done. And so, you know, that's really what I'm about now. I just want to just get stuff done. It really doesn't have to be mm-hmm. a huge budget or anything, and you know, just kind of show people of color doing regular stuff and, uh, and, and being depicted in ways that you don't normally see them. Right. Yeah. There was something that you you said real quick um, in one of your blogs, I forget which day it was, um, you were talking about, because you're, you're, you've been taking um, screenwriting classes at UCLA, and you said something yep. about the fact of um, reinvesting in yourself, that you should always invest in yourself. Um, as an artist, and that just really hit me because then it got me thinking. I'm like, wait, what's the last time I took a writing class? I haven't done that in years. So, um, what what advice would, would you give to filmmakers who may feel like they're in a rut, or you know, they've been rejected and they just don't know what to do? What what, what advice would you give them? Or what do you think they 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 would pick up from your 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 blog? Well, I mean, I guess in terms of um, advice, you know, it's just always like you, you never stop trying to learn, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Even taking these classes, like I've just been so inspired, you know. Um, I, you know, I didn't go to film school officially, and so you know, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people like kind of wear that with a badge of honor, like, oh yeah, you know, look at me, I made a movie and I didn't go to film school. But you know, I, I do mm-hmm. think that regardless if you do do that or not, you still have to. There's still certain elements you need to learn and be familiar with, like film history, like you know, technical right. jargon. Etc. And it's things you know. There's only so much you can learn just doing it on set. And so what okay. I've just really been trying to do lately is just kind of, you know, just kind of re-educate myself and, you know, learning about film history, learning about term- terminology, trying to write better characters, so that you know okay. these movies that we do do are a little bit more, um, you know, just just more complex. And so, in terms of advice, you know, I, I would say just get it done. You know, by any means necessary. You know, I just saw a movie yesterday in a theater. It's called Tangerine. And they shot it on the iPhone, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, um, mm-hmm. I mean, and you always hear that. Like, if you go to every film festival, you always hear, do a web series, because Issa Rae did it. You can shoot a movie mm-hmm. on your iPhone. Those are the two things you always hear everybody, like all the execs and kind of like higher-ups and people that kind of, I guess, would te- technically be t- being considered to have made it. You never really see anybody doing it. So, I, um, you know, shoot a movie on the iPhone or something, it's always like, kind of intriguing. 
You're breaking up a bit, Matthew. Oh, 
Yeah, that's good advice. That's really good advice. They're hilarious. Your Beyonce always on beat videos were some of my favorites also. <laughs> yes! That was what it was. No, I mean, like, the Beyonce thing, I mean, and then that, it was like, it was like, that was so easy. It was like, okay, I can showcase my editing skills. Like, that's all it was. It was like, okay, let me let me download the Beyonce video. And I used to DJ, so I'm familiar with, like, beats per minute. And I was like, all right, let me, like, find a similar song that's 100 beats per minute. And I, I just, you know, just edited the two together. And, yeah, those were doing crazy numbers on uh, everything, on Instagram, Vine, and uh, social media. I think you got to build it all wow. up because I've had people – who follow me on Tumblr that like find my stuff? Who and I don't even really have a lot of people following me on Tumblr, Periscope, mm-hmm. Snapchat. I mean, it's it's so crazy. Like, I'll, yeah. I'll be yeah, at an event everything. or something. No, no, no. And I'll be in a, at an event, and the hardest thing is deciding. Okay, do I Periscope this? Do I Snapchat it? Uh-huh. Do I tweet <laughs> right. it? Do I like 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 what social media thing do I use to give it the biggest impact? Yeah, it's so much. I I I'm, I'm I haven't gotten Periscope yet. I like it, though, so I'm, I'm going to have to. What's the difference? Uh, can you explain the difference between Periscope and Snapchat? I'm not exactly sure. What, what are the differences? I, I actually just had epiphany, an epiphany about Snapchat. Um, Snapchat is basically vlogging in a way. Like, And I, and I, and I re- literally just realized that the other day because it's, it's, basically, uh-huh. vlogging, it's basically vlogging your life in 10-second in increments. So you can take a picture. Oh. And like add and, and add like really cool filters, and then you can like add the pictures and the video clips on top of each other, and they become stories. And so somebody can like click on your little Snapchat story and just see all the different little like kind of increments of your life. Um, and Periscope is just and Periscope is basically just like live streaming from your phone. And so ah, okay. you know, it kind of works better at like live events. But I, you know, again, I've been doing this vlogging thing more lately and I've been feeling more comfortable kind of being in front of the camera and so you know now you know I ride my bike a lot and so now I'd be, I'd be doing like a little talk back series on my bike you know as I'm going to the train because right. it kind of helps kill time and you know a lot of a lot of a lot of Q&A's and um yeah it's just, it's just really cool it's just you just never know who is watching what and so I always try to like be as engaging as possible on all levels of media um whether that be Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, mm-hmm. et cetera. Right. Yeah. We actually I, I um, we have a caller on the line too. I think someone had a question. Okay. Oh. Okay. Hello. Hi. Welcome to Cinema Noir. Hello. You y- y'all talking Hi. to me? Am I on? Uh. Yeah. You're yeah. on. Hi. Hey. How's it going, everybody? Hi. How that are you? Sounds so Hi. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Uh, Oh, okay. This is Daniel Jose Older. Hey, what's going on, brother? How are you? I'm good. What's up, everybody? We're good. It's good to be here. I've been enjoying the interview, Matthew. Oh, no doubt, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. I'm actually filming it for the Uh, vlog right now. (laughs) Oh, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, I was just I just I just watched the last episode of Penny Dreadful and I heard y'all were talking about it today. That's why I called in. Because y'all already covered it, you know. I understand. Yeah, we're actually gonna be talking about that right after <laughs> Matthew. Oh, please right, cool. hang don't, don't hang up. Don't hang up. Um I'm, so right, I'm Matthew, staying here. I'm on hold. Oh good, okay. Um just a quick question from one of our followers, uh Jerry Arrow. Dale Barrow wanted to ask what you thought about the new HBO series Ballers. 
seeing as you're a former uh, football player, what are, what are your thoughts on the show? I know it just got renewed for a second season, so. Yeah, no, um, no, I, I, I dig it. You know, I definitely think, um, I think right now they're still trying to kind of find their tone. Um, I, I do wish that they would have kind of more of a female protagonist, um, just to kind of yes. balance it out a little bit. I, I, I feel like it's kind of like OD, like sexist in a way, if that if that makes sense. <laughs> but yeah. you know, it's just like it, 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 it just it just doesn't have like a like a you, you know, it just seems like it's just like a, a writer's room of all guys, and they're just like kind of like mm. living out fantasies or whatever. Yep. But. But I do think it has the potential to, um, you know, go a little deeper. I think I, I really have a strong feeling that, like, towards the end of the season, once they, like, kind of find their voice and their style, that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, it'll definitely get better. But right now it just kind of seems like a watered-down version of Honorage in a way with kind yeah. of football players and, uh, you know, replacing movie stars. But, you know, I have, I have high mm-hmm. hopes for the show, and I think it'll, I think it'll step up. So what do you think of um, – because uh, the Washington side – um, is in the show. What What did you think of, of John David's performance so far? Or how, do you, I, how do you think he's faring so far? I think I think all the league guys are great. Actually, I think uh, you know, obviously the Rock mm-hmm. just has incredible charisma. Um, yeah. You know, John David Washington. I think he's incredible. Like I didn't even mm-hmm. have. You know, it's like if if you didn't know he was Denzel's son, like you just think he was just like a really dope actor that just got put yeah. on. You know, like mm-hmm. he's he's very authentic. You know, very real. And it doesn't feel like he's acting. He like really feels like he's that guy. So I think he's killing it. And then Omar Miller, you know, he's uh, such an underrated actor. He's killed yes. everything he's ever been in. Um, you know, from that Spike Lee movie Miracle of Santa Anna, and uh, you know every, everything he does, he just he kills it. So and it's funny because like his storyline is kind of similar to uh, Lance's storyline in Last Fall. So like like I'm definitely yes. like kind of oh closely following. I'm kind of closely following that storyline to see uh, how that plays <laughs> out, but. Yeah. <laughs> That's very true. No, it's funny because Jerry and I were we've been, uh, between Jerry, myself, and uh, Mona Lee, NYC, Ramona Robinson, we've been chatting about ballers. And Jerry was like, yo, why does this remind me of basketball? He's like, was that a Mr. Matthews movie? I was like, yeah. So he was like, please ask him that when you get to interview him. <laughs> but, uh, but the one thing I do like about that storyline is very refreshing to see a black couple in love. Thank you very much. Because I, I don't, I'm not mm-hmm. sure who the actress plays his wife, but they're a really cute couple, and I like that she's very, you know, supportive of him. And she's a doctor; she's not just, you know, I can't do this really cool. So. Yeah, exactly, um, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I just, you know, I would, I would, I would, lo- I would love to see like a female character on that show that isn't tied to like a dude. You know what I'm saying? Like not the supportive yeah. wife, not not the girlfriend. Like you know, just somebody who whose, like, existence isn't tied into some male perspective. Like, you know, she could be an agent, okay. a trainer. I don't know. There's something there's something outside of just being a support system. That's, that's yeah. how we really see uh, African-American women playing on these shows right. now. It's like the, the cool wife or the cool girlfriend or the, or the homegirl or the, or the best friend, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Watching that show, I feel like they need to put Sanaa Lathan in, in this show. Whether she's an agent or something, I feel like they need that kind of female energy. Like, I, I could see Sanaa on that show. A couple of other actresses, yeah. too, but she was the first one that popped up. Oh, yeah, not for sure. But, um, yeah. Well, thank you so much for calling in, Matthew. So we're going to tweet out the link. Um, again, it's a uh, vlog uh, series. is called Diary of an Independent Filmmaker. You can find that on YouTube. 
Awesome. You can also find Matthew on Twitter, um, at Matthew A. Cherry. Uh, where else can we find you? Are you on Instagram as well? I'm on every, I'm on everything under Matthew A. Cherry. So Periscope, under Snapchat, Matthew. Tumblr, Facebook, uh-huh. Twitter. Yeah, Great. <laughs> Great. Well, congratulations. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I've been following your career for, like, jump. So it just makes me so excited that you're still in the fight. So thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Thank you for calling. Oh, no worries. No, I appreciate you guys. And definitely uh, check out the vlog. I'm um, doing it every single day. So every day on my YouTube channel, a new video. It's like uh, awesome. last week, tomorrow. But, you know, uh-huh. it's yesterday, today. So. <laughs> yesterday, today. Okay. Yeah, we'll be tweeting out the link. No problem. All right, no doubt. Bye. 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 Alrighty. So, such a nice guy. I love Matthew. Mm. Yeah, you're right, Kim. Kim, I need to get my social media skills up because I'm just like <laughs> Twitter <laughs> and Facebook. That's mm-hmm. it. I have an Instagram, but I don't really use it that much. A Periscope, Snapchat. I wasn't even on the Vine. I wasn't even doing any of that. So. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I, might, I might need to revisit that. So, um, we're going to move into our last segment. I'm so glad Daniel called in. Uh, by the way, Daniel Jose Older has a new book out. It's called Shadow Shaper. I'm on Chapter 2, Matt, uh, Daniel, so I'm just admitting that right now. <laughs> but I really love it so far. I'm, I'm so happy. He had a he had a book signing, a book release party last week. I couldn't attend because um, I had to go to Maryland for a family wedding. And, of course, I'm flipping through the pictures, and who's there but Amanda Stenberg? I'm so jealous and yeah. so mad. Like, how did that happen, Matthew? Like, what's good? <laughs> I was just like, really? <laughs> <laughs> it was an amazing party. Um, Anika Noni Rose came, and she brought Amanda. Uh-huh. And, uh, wow. the, the you know, the whole community just came out. Though. It was so fantastic to have everybody there. Um, you know, the oh. friends and family and then folks like that. And it was like, wow, that's really cool. <laughs> you know, yeah. a whole mix of folks up in the house. And people were so just, like, happy and supportive. It was really one of my favorite shows I've ever done. Um, so I had yeah. the band come through, so there was a band playing behind me while I was reading the book. Um, wow. And, yeah, it, it was just awesome. It was really awesome. Well, congratulations. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so going to finish that book. I swear I'm going to finish that. I know you and Anika, just quick, I know you and Anika are working on a project. She just optioned um, one of your novels, correct? Yeah, Anika she optioned uh, the Anika Noni Rose optioned the Bone Street Roomba uh, series. So the first one is Half Resurrection Blues. That came out um, yes. in January, and the sequel comes out next January, Midnight Taxi Tango. Um, so, uh-huh. yeah, I mean, it's a it's an urban fantasy series. It's about a half-dead guy running around Brooklyn, kind of cleaning up the mess that death leaves behind and falling in yeah. love and having all kinds of issues. So uh, that's really uh-huh. exciting, too. Um, I, you know, I, I, we'll see what happens with it, but I know it's going to be bomb, whatever she does with it. I'm mm-hmm. so excited for this project. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm like three chapters away from finishing Half Resurrection. Oh, cool. And I've already told Daniel that I adore this book so much. I mean, besides the uh, fact that it's a fantasy supernatural show, I love the way, like, you brought back the Brooklyn that I remember, not that gentrification Starbucks right. crap. I'm talking about the real Brooklyn. And I love that you right. also touch on gentrification in the book, which I thought, I think you had, like, some um, detractors, like, some critics that were really upset with you <laughs> over that. And I was like, I guess he did his job. Good. <laughs> yep, that's why I did it. I mean, you know. <laughs> awesome. I love it. I love it. So, we're going to go to the segment. So, you're welcome. Cool. So, um, 
for anybody who uh, who watched, last Sunday was the season finale of Penny Dreadful. And I just want to say up front that I thought season two was fantastic. Madam Callie is probably the most scariest villain that I've ever seen on primetime in a minute. Like, I, And she just totally changed puppets for me. I will never watch Puppet Show ever again. You know what I mean? Because that's a show that you mm-hmm. want them to keep getting things right. Like, they do really yeah. interesting stuff with gender for the most part, although I think there were some fails in that department, too, to be honest with you. Me, too. Um, but, oh, the Angelique character, well, right? Yeah, I think, they, you know, they have this mm-hmm. really powerful transgender romance happening and this character that seems very, like, you know, just empowered in a lot of levels and there's a lot of interesting things, like a very human character and then pow, mm-hmm. you know, spoiler alert, she's dead. Yeah. Like, um, I thought that was way, mm-hmm. honestly, and I thought that, it, and again, like it's a show that is so well written, so well acted, mm-hmm. and so well directed. Like the quality is so high, and it really made it yeah. stand out to me, like how when when they when shows like that do these kind of like race and gender fails, it really stands out because the quality of the show drops along with like it's bad art too. You know what I mean? Like on top of the fact that you're doing this thing that we've seen done over and over, it's a cliche. You know, you're giving us something that's lower quality. Like, we've seen the Magical Negro. We've seen the black character take one for the white team over and over and over. And now you're doing that again. It was like, Hello? come on. That's, that's boring. Like, I got checked out. Yeah. You know? What did you think, Candace? Because I know you watched What were your thoughts on, on the Dumbene? Yeah, what? no, I'm, I'm, fi- I'm finding your dialogue, like, the two of you talking really fascinating because I didn't really get any of that. Although the transgender right. romance, I was really, that was really kind of like uh, very counterproductive. It was, it was just like, okay, really all of that to just do that at the end. Like I was, I was, I found okay. that right. a little bit more jarring because I, I remember mm-hmm. rewinding it. I'm like, did I miss something? When did this turn into that? Um, yeah. But no, I, I I I totally get it, and I think you know again what you guys were saying. There were so many great things that it had done, and it was quite progressive politically and socially. And then to have yeah. those, particularly those two characters, just kind of catch the fade it was just like, oh, okay, catch <laughs> the fade fast, like, and and with no real um, like we didn't. It was like when Tara died on True Blood. You know what I mean? Like 
It just kind of happened, what? and then it was oh. over. And we don't have any time mm-hmm. to mourn her or really deal with her death at all because the show is so interested in the white characters. And none of us are. You know what I mean? We're all trying to see what happened to our favorite. And then I, I really yeah. think it bears saying, too, that the, for them to come along with this one line of backstory after two whole seasons, finally we yeah. find out something about Tembene, and it's that he had slaves. That was really when I was done, honestly. Like, fuck you, he had slaves. That's like the eternal white excuse for, like, well, black people had slaves, too. You know what I mean? You can't be too bad. Like, shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? I'm sorry. That's like, that just, yeah. I thought that was so trite and, and, like, pitiful as a plot technique of anything. That was really like a spit in the face. And then you're going to yeah. kill the dude? Come on. <laughs> Come on. I was just like, I'll tell you what, the, the thing that was very interesting to me was um, this scene. Sorry, spoilers, if you have not seen the season finale, turn off. <laughs> way too but late for that. that, way too late. <laughs> way too late for that. So you have the scene where, and I thought that was, like, the way they set it up, that, that was a lot of tension, right? So they lock Ethan and Semphine in a room together, right? right. Semphine knows Ethan's secret about being a vampire, I mean, about being a werewolf. And then, of course, Ethan is turning, right? And th- mm-hmm. I think the thing that got to me that made the scene even worse was when, mm-hmm. you know, Ethan took the gun, right? And he was, like, going to kill himself. Like, he was like, I would rather kill myself than to hurt you because that's how much right. he valued somebody. And then somebody turns to him and says, I am nothing. He no. was like, "I my life means nothing compared to <sighs> yours. I flipped the frick out. And I was just like, God, <laughs> see, this is what happens when you don't have a, a diverse writing crew because just the, right. if you had played that in the dailies, one of the writers of color would have been like, yo, dude, you, you can't do that. Like, that's the fuck not, up. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you, you, can't, you can't do Now, don't, don't get me wrong. Now, if Semine had died in, in the line of battle, he had died on his feet, I could have accepted sure. it. I wouldn't have liked it. I would have accepted right. it. But the Word. fact that he no, literally totally sacrifice, like, oh, I'm nothing, right. I, I ain't shit. Yeah, just, just rip my throat out. You know what I mean? And I was like, really? Right. Like, this, this is the direction that you, you know guys want to take it? Like, yeah, I actually ahead. blanked out that part. Like, no, I literally didn't. Even, like, I literally blanked that part out of my mind. Because when you're saying it now, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> but let's. there's one other piece to this puzzle, which is that after uh-huh. killing the man that, like, is his friend, and he's telling, you know, like, they really dwell on their friendship towards, they build that, for, I guess, to yeah. build the tension of that moment. Then uh-huh. the werewolf goes ahead and is about to strike down the white woman, but is struck by how human she is and doesn't kill oh, her. Wow. Right? I didn't even catch that. A whole oh, yeah. level of how fucked up that whole scenario was. He really does. You're right about that. Tracks, and they yeah. show him killing everybody else into, you know, without even caring. And then suddenly it's uh-huh. like, boom, white woman. Everything stops. Yeah. You know, suddenly I'm not the wild beast. She has tamed me. Get the f- oh my god! I was so dumb. That's really what I was dumb. I spent the rest of the show just like hate tweeting because I just didn't care what happened to any of the characters. Because I was like, Fuck y'all. first of all, you have a whole cast of characters, all of whom are basically agents of genocide. You know what I mean? Like, which I found they could have. They tried to do something interesting with you know because like even um, Evan, what's his name right? The Wolfman is a you know former basically uh, uh, Indian killer, right? Like he went around. He was hired to commit genocide against the natives. And yeah. they kind of deal with him feeling guilty about that, so that could have been interesting. Mm-hmm. But then you go and, like, kill off all the characters of color, which reminds me that they also, at the last last minute of season one, 
randomly yeah. just threw in a Native American character who was a bad guy for no apparent reason, who was just an evil Native guy. Why would you do that? Like, just don't include Wait. characters of color if you're going to fuck with us that badly. You know what I mean? Just be all white. Yeah, That's yeah. much better. That's how I feel. Fuck that. Mm. <laughs> so, mm. so, then, so then that, so then that, that begs the question <laughs> to both of you. What do you feel, uh, Candace and Daniel and Kim, the three of you, what do you feel is the difference between tokenism and diversity? Like, when, when you watch a show, what tells you, okay, this is a diverse cast, and what tells you, okay, right. this is a token character? Like, what are the differences to you? Because we survive. <laughs> It's well, not just that, but it's, it's, just, it's, it's not just that. It's also just a memorable storyline. Like I can't tell you yeah. what the storyline was. I can't even remember his name. The the black character, right. the one black character from Penny Dreadful. I I don't even really know what his storyline was. So that's a problem. So mm-hmm. that seems a little bit more of tokenism, in um, mm-hmm. especially contrary to everybody else or many of the other people who had very rich storylines, including, you know, romances mm-hmm. and um, past yes. romances, romances and story, you know, all these other elements that were mm-hmm. going on, all this conflict that was going on internally and externally. And then it was mm-hmm. him. And, and then I, I, I can't tell you any, like, any memorable line, any memorable, like, scene mm-hmm. that he was in. Mm-hmm. So that, to me, is a, a very striking difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Kim? What do you think is the difference between uh, tokenism and, and diversity with, with characters of color? Yeah, basically that they have a story, that they are something more than just a one-dimensional villain or the best friend or, you know, whatever it is. Right. That they have, you know, some good, some bad, that they're a real person, a fleshed-out character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I sat there and I realized that after, with, with the end of, or at least that's what we think, right? I don't know. Hopefully the writers of uh, Penny Dreadful will, like, give us a solid. Maybe someday I'll come back as a werewolf. I don't know. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing, I have the no thing, faith though. in that. Out of the, and then, <laughs> so here's my thing. Out of the two seasons that I've watched Penny Dreadful, the only thing, like you said, Daniel, the only thing that we got was the fact that he was a playtrader. I don't know if somebody yeah. was married. I don't know if he right. was straight. I don't know if he had any kids. Like, there was there was mm-hmm. no connection. Like, he was really the only black character where we yep. know that there was a community of people of color in England, in Victorian England. He didn't hang out right. with other black people. You know, like, he didn't no, have a best friend. Nope. He didn't, yeah, there was nothing. Even with Madam exactly. Callie, because some people, some people were like, oh, well, it was a plot device. Yes, Madam Callie did drive the story in, in season two, but she got a backstory. We realized she had a sister. Yes. She worked as a snake. She had a daughter. Right. She had, mm-hmm. Like, she had her minion. Like, she had agency, right? <laughs> like, even yeah. although we didn't like her, we understood that. But right. somebody didn't even get, mm-hmm. like, I didn't know anything about him. I, I knew right. less about him than when the show started, and I was just like, oh. "It's that." And I think mm-hmm. a piece of that too is that, like, mm-hmm. if you only have one of each little segment of society that you're trying to quote unquote represent, then you yeah. really are easily going to fall into like one of the many stereotypes. You know what I mean? But if you have actual mm-hmm. diversity, which to me in my mm-hmm. brain, I, I mean, really, we're talking about like the truth versus the lie. Like that's really what it is. Right. Diversity is about telling the truth because the world mm. is diverse. So. 
if all you're going to do is do a Burger King Kids Club version of diversity where you have one of each, then no matter what, you're pretty much going to fuck it up. You're going to fuck it up because there's so many yeah, ways to go wrong. That, I'm saying, like, yeah. if he's good, he's going to be the too good magical Negro. And if he's bad, he's going to be the evil Negro. And if he right. gets killed, he's going to be the martyr Negro. And that's we've, that's all, you know, options that we've seen too many times. And that's what happens yeah. when you have only one black character or character of color. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you're basically already setting yourself up to fail when that's all you give us, and that's what happened, you know? So, you know, right. they, they, they really called that down upon the head. He was, and, and then yeah. they made him a manservant, you know, like, <laughs> come on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing yeah. that, that, that really confused me was, um, well, I mean, the, the whole storyline, like you said, like that he used to be a slave trader, that came out of left field. I mean, yes, it's true we did have African people that are part of the, okay, whatever, but my sure. thing was, if he if he was somebody that felt so racked with guilt over selling other human beings, right, and he, and he was looking for salvation, would it not make sense that he would try to, like, maybe direct himself towards the abolitionist movement or try to find other brown people and try to liberate right. them? Like, he just, you know what I mean? Like, you, you close yourself in a house full of white people. Like, yes, yes. they're fighting. And that would have been a cool story. Yes. Yeah. Right. Like, they... They have a lot of misunderstandings. That would have been such a cool that. story. Yeah, definitely. See? You know. They need to hire me. Like, Come on. I, I, they should hire you. <laughs> and it gets into, like, <laughs> the root of, like, what, like whose stories are we telling? You know what I mean? Like, yes. even something like even something like 12 Years a Slave, right? Like, which is an amazing movie. And I don't want to say this to detract from it. But there are so right. many stories of people getting away from slavery that don't involve a white person saving them. Like, they were black people that were, you know, taking over slave ships and killing the slave masters on them and, like, doing hijacks Mm -hmm. in New York Harbor and fighting the, you know, the criminal fight on the court side. Like, really fascinating, amazing stories of people of Uh color fighting against slavery. You know? So it's like, but the choice of which ones we depict matters. Like, that's still a part of the artistic process. So same thing with Penny Jennifer, like, which of the historical, you know, like, time periods that mm-hmm. you choose, and among those, you decide to pick that one one black person who was a slaver in that, you know, whatever, get out of here. Shut the fuck up. And, it, and, it, and the Game of Thrones, you know, Game of Thrones did it too, which obviously is not historical, but, oh. you know, they have three black characters, and suddenly you can show up mm-hmm. with one who's a slaver. Like, I just right. I'm very skeptical of that bullshit, that's all. <laughs> yeah. No, well, Game of Thrones, like their their depiction of people of color, is so problematic to me. Like it it it's starting to get in the way. Well, it already got in the way of me enjoying the show. Right. I think yeah, because yeah. I think particularly as um, people of color who watch a lot of I'm putting the air quotes mainstream shows, it, it's a fight, right? Where it's like you want to right. watch quality shows, but then you have to deal yeah. with the BS of the sexism and the misogyny and yep. the racism and the tokenism, yep. and it's like. What like what do you do? You know what I mean? Not watch anything. I mean, of course you'll watch you'll watch something like Awkward Black Girl or whatever. But yeah, Game of Thrones has been very problematic to me for a very long time. Um, I, I find it interesting that the one the one romance on that show with two people of color, Grey Worm is neutered, right? Like he right. was. I'm like, oh, yeah. so you got the one black guy who doesn't even have a penis or whatever it is. I was like, really? Right. right. Come on, guys. That's not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know, it's like sometimes you have to turn off, like, all the analysis to enjoy a show. 
And it, yeah. and it sucks because we shouldn't have to do that. You know what I mean? Like, because even when I shut yeah. down my brain to that extent, I still cringe mm-hmm. and it yeah. still hurts. You know what I mean? And I think, like, it yeah. gets into this deeper thing, too, which is that people always paint it as, like, we're offended. And I really mm-hmm. want to just call foul on that. Like, I don't actually get offended. I just really don't want us to be continually erased and made into cartoon characters. Like, that's really different. Right. You know what I mean? I'm mm-hmm. I'm not offended. Like I I don't get it. Like Republicans get offended when you know like some dumb shit happens. That's offended. Whatever. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about is right. like an ongoing history of the same bullshit happening again and again that literally you know affects our lives and our children and how we're perceived and everything else. Like that actually is totally different than being offended. And I feel like that yeah. line needs to be drawn again and again because it's so easy to be like, well, you guys are offended. You're so sensitive. Whatever. You know, like. I think racists right. are, like, the most sensitive people. Because any time something not white happens, <laughs> they freak out and lose their minds. And, you know, that's why diversity suddenly equals white genocide and all this other bullshit. They're very sensitive people. Like, white you know, genocide? People of color. White genocide. Every, wow. Okay. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That, that <laughs> entire premise. Like, that's the premise of a very, very sensitive mind. <laughs> like, people that are offended by everything. We're not offended. Like, right. we're, like, really just trying to exist. People of color in general. You know what I mean? And that's... That that's where I like. Yeah. I'm just like, you know, can we just live? Like, can we watch a show and not be like turned into monster? Come on. Right, <laughs> right. I think it's new for. Or at least have some that, kind like, of multi dimension. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm okay you with be us flawed. being. I don't, I'm okay with us being villains or antiheroes. We don't have to be this perfect character, but we do have to have this dimension, several different layers, humanity. complexity, facet. You know, it has yeah. to have this yeah. humanity. And we talked about the villain on this particular season of Penny Dreadful. She's she's detestable. She's awful. But I understood yeah. there's there's so much of a roundness of her character that yeah. I, I I was able to kind of immerse myself in all her actions, mm-hmm. even though they were despicable, most of them. Mm-hmm. But, you right. know, she had, she had a full enough story for me to at least understand it. Yep. Yeah, I she totally agree with that. didn't get that. <laughs> no, she, well, right. you know, that, right. that's, that's, the, that's the mainstream media. I noticed that whenever people of color or trans people or LGBT, anyone who's from the marginalized community, when we voice our displeasure, and, again, not outright mm-hmm. displeasure or critique, of something that's in a piece of media, the mainstream media will just automatically say so and so outrage. A uh, black Twitter outraged over blah blah blah, right. or feminist right. outrage. And I understand that that's a tool to make us look like we're like these irrational, illogical people that exactly. just have these knee-jerk reacts. And what they don't understand is that social media has been around for what less than fifteen years. Like this is the first time where we, mm-hmm. as people of color, have had a platform. That exactly. like a meritocracy where we can actually voice. Our, this stuff has been happening in the media and TV and film for years, but we can never complain about it, right? Since you can never complain about it. Yeah, right. and so now because exactly. Twitter is instant, right? It's real time, and so it's like if you see twenty tweets from people of color that says, "Hey, that's racist," then all of a sudden it's right. like, "Oh, you sensitive black people," you know what I mean? Right. And I'm like, "Oh, brother." Right. You know, Man, but this whole Amy Schumer, that that whole Amy Schumer um, thing is just—I'm not saying that it's exaggerated. I mean, like the media has really like thrown gas on the fire because there, it was an honest critique and an otherwise positive uh, uh, interview with, or I should say, it was an essay about Amy Schumer, and it was just like two sentences, something about how she portrayed, like she made a joke about 
this is the exact joke she said. She was like, I used to date Latino men, but now I like consensual. And I'm just oh, like, wow. oh, so you're saying that Latino men are are racist? Like, I was sitting there, because I am a fan of Amy Schumer, but, well, right. maybe. But I was just like, that is problematic as F. And people were like, and so you had some people that, you know, agreed with it, that wrote about it, and then it was just like, oh, we're attacking Amy Schumer. No, like, you're calling Latin what? men racist. That's not right. funny. Like, who, <laughs> who agreed with it? Donald Trump? Because that's like a straight out of the Donald Trump playbook right there. Like, I, I hadn't heard about that. Let me tell you, That's the crazy. White Tears Brigade was out in full force for Amy Schumer, let me tell you. <laughs> you had Latino men that were like, hey, I'm Latino, and I didn't think it was offensive. Right, okay. of course. I mean, oh, yeah. Oh, of yeah. course you I'm did sure. it. <laughs> and then they right. created, like, Latino, oh. Latinos for Amy Schumer. I'm like, oh, God, oh, you no. guys. <laughs> I miss this whole thing. This is why. This is literally why I tweet out of my mentions most of the time, yes. so I miss bullshit like that. Like, I just... Mm-hmm. I had no idea that happened, and I'm so glad that I didn't know because I would have oh, had to Oh, it was bad. Shit. That's really that's Yeah. Really, uh, oh, it's horrible. It was horrible. I'm like, <sighs> how, is, how is it okay to say something like that? And she because like, it's, ah. quote, unquote, just a joke, right? And then, like, because we didn't understand humor. Joke. That's right. That's I think and that's got to be on exactly the top five. Said. Of course. Yeah. Like, like, right. Like, yeah. as if that was a news flash. That's what always gets me when someone's like, it was a joke. Like, we were thinking that she actually mm-hmm. was saying it seriously. No, we're talking right. about the power of words, which at every other right. moment in life, the same people are all about the power of words. Yeah, yeah, words are so powerful and meaningful, all this shit. And then suddenly when, mm. you know, someone says a fucked up joke, suddenly then it's it just a joke and words aren't that powerful. Right. That's what gets me. The whole It gets into the whole censorship conversation, right? Because you'll have these mm. days a lot of free speech folks acting like PETA in the way that they carry themselves with their with their whole yeah. analysis in terms of it's really bad, you know, we've really got to talk about this until it's people of color that are in the crosshairs and then it's free speech and then we got to defend it with all of our lives. Like, that's a really problematic approach to how we do things, but you're seeing it right. a lot. And it, it, it's, it's really, it's really like, I just, I've been spying it and, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think we have to watch yeah. out for that. I also want to put out here, to go back the, to... Um, yeah. We have another oh, caller. Oh, go ahead, Kim. Oh, we do? We have Hi. another caller. Yeah. Oh, welcome, wow. welcome to Cinema Noir. Hello. Uh, hello. Hi. Hello? Hi. Welcome to Cinema Noir. Hi. Can you hear us? Uh, yes. Hi. Yeah. Uh, can oh, you okay. give us okay. Oh, uh, Stephen. Hi, Stephen. How are you? What did you have to say? Oh, I'm, I'm doing fine. I uh, just uh, I wanted to call in, and I can't believe I got on. Um, yeah, I, I just wanted to call in. <laughs> so, and, um, yeah, I saw you guys were talking about uh, Penny Dreadful, and uh, yeah, yeah, I just I just couldn't resist the urge to call on. You know, yeah, I listen mm-hmm. to you guys um kind of often, so you know it, it's good to hear hear from you guys. And uh, yeah, you know, I just uh, you know the I just was so interested in what you guys had to say about um the character of Simbene, and you know. And you know how that character was kind of treated on that show. You know, I I, I right. thought you know that Simbene was uh, he, there. There were I wanted to give the show writers credit and say, well, yeah. okay, he he wasn't doing much for most of the show, but I always yeah. felt like there was going to be more with that character. And I just mm-hmm. and I gave them the and I and I actually gave them the benefit of the doubt that there was going to be more with that character come second season. Um, but mm-hmm. that that didn't obviously that didn't happen. So mm. I was kind of I was I was I was pretty disappointed by how how that how that shook out you know because you know 
when you say, you know, tokenism and the magical Negro, you know, when you have certain shows, mm-hmm. you know, I, it, it's been around for so long that I, I, yeah. I, want, I was like, you know, I was like, well, he's like the only, uh, you know, notable character of color on the show. I'm like, I, yeah. I, I just want to believe that they're not going to do that where he's just mm-hmm. there. But, you know, I, I never really, I, I never, when you think about it, Sembene never really had as much of an arc as most of the characters on the show. Like, he never had that actor. I mean, Danny Champagne, he's a terrific actor, and I know he's on another show, yeah. so I, I'm pretty sure Agreed. he's not coming back. But, but you know, but wow. I never felt like he had, like, the arc of, you know, um, um, you know, Ives or, you know, everybody, Ethan, you know, Frankenstein, mm-hmm. you know, those guys, you know, you see the character moments that they have and who they are mm-hmm. and the complexities of them, all their flaws, all their mistakes, whatever it is, and I never really felt right. that with him. Now I thought that, that he was right. just a mystery character, and that's just that was going to be his shtick, and I and I was okay. I was like, okay, fine. Well, there's going to be something that's going to come from. There's going to be a payoff, right? There's going to be a payoff, and I feel like, well, you just kind of left me there hanging. I felt like there was more to mm-hmm. that, but maybe there wasn't. Apparently, there wasn't more to that. I guess, and mm-hmm. I, I guess I just I projected what I thought because I do think it is a very well written show most of the time. I mm-hmm. I will say I I I I like this season, and I, and I like Penny's Rebel still, but I, I did not think this was. I thought there was a. I had a lot of problems with this season, with the writing in general. You know, not just Simpson mm-hmm. in general. Like, like you know, like for me, with um, what happened with Lily and um, and Vanessa. Like, how could she not recognize that that's that she's met her or sent something? Because I thought the right. character of Vanessa. I felt like there was a problem with Vanessa primarily too. With that character, I'm like, I felt like she was a little depowered this season. I don't know what it was, but to me, in the first season, I felt like Vanessa had like. A sense of of what of what was and what what isn't, you know, and I just felt like mm-hmm. there was a lot of that was a lot of that was brought down. So, you know, I, I, mm-hmm. I had some some other problems with the, the this season, but you know, I generally liked it. But yeah, I was definitely disappointed yeah. with Sim Benny, with Sim Benny's character you know, it's, and it's, where else. It's particularly uh, it's particularly interesting because I, one thing I really love about Penny Dreadful is that they will do this thing where they'll take a whole episode to do backstory. Mm-hmm. Most shows yeah. will kind of throw it in here and there. But they will take, you know, both seasons they've done that where they'll be like, okay, here's all this shit that happened before. But they'll do it as like a very complete story and they'll encapsulate yeah. it in a full episode. And that episode mm-hmm. with, um, uh, Ver- what's her name? Ver- Vanessa and the, you know, and the cut wife was so brilliant. Oh, yeah. It was so oh, well written. Yeah. It was totally backstory. The whole episode was backstory. But it affected mm-hmm. the front story and it was a mm-hmm. story into itself. Like it did everything yeah. right. And that, again, but all that, like everyone's been saying, just adds to the insult of, like, no backstory for Tim Bennett. The other thing I want right. to say was I remember back during season one that I pieced mm-hmm. that this whole evil magic that they were working with, with oh. the vampires. Oh, are we done? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, guys. That's all for tonight. Thanks for calling. Oh. Thank you. All right. Bye. Yeah.